1: That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
2: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, this is Cork Today with Patricia Messenger
1: On the home of Cork's Greatest Hits.
2: Cork's Greatest Hits. Cork's, 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 Corks Greatest Hits.
3: And a very good morning to you. John Paul is taking a couple of days off. Well, actually, three days off. He's off for the rest of the week. So, Bernie is sitting in, taking your calls. Anything you want to share with us, uh, we always love to hear from you. 1850 333 103. And if you were one of the lucky people that got a ticket to... That to go along to the Liam Miller tribute match yesterday. We hope that you had a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. All of the papers picking up on the match yesterday and the Irish Examiner in particular have a great spread of photographs, including photographs from the Gala event that was held last night after the soccer match. All the glad rags were put on and and I'd say a great night was had by all. But there's some really gorgeous pictures including lovely photographs of Liam Miller's three children because of course these uh, three children along with their little cousin led out the two teams yesterday which was a very very special moment for them and hopefully a moment they will remember for the rest of their lives and that they along with their mum Claire uh, will know that so many people were standing with them and remembering Uh, a wonderful husband and uh, dad and son because his parents there as well at Lee Miller it really was lovely and it was a it was a great event to watch it's not not, um, it wasn't the most exciting of football matches but I certainly sat down yesterday and watched uh, the match first half was a bit of slow going it livened up a little bit in the second half but it was lovely and it was just I think a very proud moment for Cork I was saying it yesterday when I was interviewing Trevor Welch who by the way from Virgin Media did wonderful commentary well done to our own uh, Trevor when I was talking with Trevor yesterday and when I had been putting my int- introduction together for his piece you know we were to- I was thinking oh you know this is a great sporting story but it's also a great Cork story and we could be very proud of Cork uh, yesterday and I imagine for the powers that be uh, ga. Headquarters in Cork a great dry run for them as to how everything is working we're getting people in and out of a sold out stadium even though there was 45,000 seats but did I hear the official figure was something around 42,000 but of course we knew that many people bought tickets to support the match but weren't necessarily going which is a little bit of a pity because there were so many people who were desperate in the last week or so to get tickets um, and who wanted to go along who wanted to be a part of of the spectacle and wanted to go along and see some of the heroes and some of their heroes of the past so so that was a bit disappointing i know uh, for some people but overall it sounded like it was a, it was a, a complete success from a logistical point of view I know on our news bulletins there was some criticism to do with the park and ride and it seemed to be doing with it seemed to do with where people were parking their car and then getting the shuttle out to Porky Creeve. there seemed to be some teething problems there but hopefully they can learn from the event yesterday as well and the next big event that goes on in Porky Creve they'll have ironed out any problems like that but well done to everybody who got involved in any way yesterday and to all of the organisers of the event and hopefully you really uh, enjoyed your day out. If you've got any memories to share with us about yesterday's event, uh, we, we certainly would love to hear from you. 1850 333 and I spotted uh, some of the papers picked up on our story yesterday when Father Liam Kelleher contacted us. In the final hour of the programme, he had bought a ticket to the Liam Miller match and of course Father Liam Kelleher well known in sporting circles in Cork a great sporting priest and uh, really looking forward to going to the match then he discovered he couldn't find the ticket you know you put something away for safekeeping, and he the back of his head he thinks it's been the lady who comes in to do some cleaning Uh, his housekeeper he thinks it was dumped anyway so he didn't have a ticket he tried to get press press accreditation he wasn't able to get that because he left it too late so he contacted us and like I I opened my p to him by saying Father Liam we're looking for a miracle here because it was in the final hours between 12 and 1 on the programme yesterday with the match kicking off at 3 Porky Queeve was opening I think f- from 12 o'clock and he was Father Liam trying to get a ticket and uh, Charlie from Wheeling one of our regular listeners He supplied the miracle and he got the ticket for Father Leem. So, no doubt, Father Leem really enjoyed the day yesterday with some of the papers picking up on on our story of how we created a little miracle yesterday around the Leem Miller uh, match and only too glad uh, to do it. Now, coming up on the programme today, we are going to talk about the very serious topic of rape on the programme with the news. The three teenage girls and they were were 18 and 19 year old uh, girls who headed off to college this month to start first year college students and the excitement that goes with that and the nervousness as well. You know, students at that age, it's their first time leaving home, first time away from mommy and daddy. And they're all trying to be independent and cool and act adult and all of that. And they have literally had the rug pulled out from under them and the impact rape will have on those young girls' uh, lives will just be devastating at what should be the start of a very exciting period of their life, their lives has been just destroyed. Mary Crilly is raising this issue and she brought it up at a joint policing committee earlier this week. So we're going to talk to uh, Mary Crilly about those three cases and it seems it's not new, according to Mary. Freshers' week, start of the new university year can be a very dangerous time for young uh, students and then when you open the papers today I mean that story that Mary's talking about is in in nearly all of the papers and then added into that is a story coming out from Galway where they say the rape crisis centre in Galway say that almost 50 students have reported incidents of rape or sexual assault in Galway in the first six months of this year. And then you've got Mary Crilly's story. Then you've got the, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre saying that they always receive an increase in calls during Fresher's week and that the first two months of September and October for all of the rape crisis centres all over the country can be very busy particularly when the colleges go back I mean that is just absolutely shocking and I see the vintners and student groups are getting involved in this, and both vintners and students' unions are saying more needs to be done to increase safety after these stories have come to light. And I know, certainly from the vintners' point of view, and, and we did an interview on it, that and, and I take it most of the bars are doing it the Ask for Angela campaign that was launched uh, earlier this year, where it, where if any young male or young female or male it can be a young man as well if they're feeling in any kind of an awkward situation and they don't know how to get out of it and they're feeling uncomfortable with the person that, they w- that they're that they with they can literally go up to a member of staff and ask for Angela and that is the key and that's the trigger that the staff know that this person needs help and then they're literally whisked away, taken you know, to the back of the bar Taken out, you know, not you know, taken out a different way out of the bar. Get them away from the person that's making them feel uncomfortable, and if needs be, taxi is ordered. They're placed into a taxi and they're sent home uh, safely. Now I don't know. I know a lot of the bars are getting involved uh, in that. I don't know how many how many have used it. We might do a follow up on that because we did an initial interview when it was been introduced. It'd be interesting to see how many people have actually used that. Ask for Angela but it is something certainly that young people need to know about. That if they see that sign, that they know what it means, and if they're in a situation that there is help and that they can get out of it. So we'll discuss that on the programme today but just an extra worry is it not for parents as they've waved off their sons and daughters as they've headed off to college I mean it must be for, for an absolute nightmare for a mum or dad to get that phone call or to find out That's happened uh, to their young uh, daughter. We'll hear about a plan to integrate migrants into local communities. Now, this is something, I think, that really must be welcomed because there isn't... I don't think there's a community in this country that doesn't have somebody from a different nationality. Nearly every neighbourhood will have people from different nationalities. And it's something new. It's something... Twenty thirty years ago, we wouldn't have seen in Ireland. So we need to all get on together. We need to integrate uh, together for the for to make wonderful societies and wonderful communities going forward. So we will look at a pilot project that's going to operate uh, in North Cork in the towns of Fermoy and Mitchellstown, and then just over the border in Tipperary, the town of Kerry is getting involved uh, as well. Community alert, community text alert scheme. Funding, did, funding from the government was announced this week uh, for that so we're going to look at that text alert scheme and asking the question does it prevent crime, has it prevented crime, what can local communities do in, in order to, if you don't have a text alert scheme in your area is it something that you would like to get involved with in your area and if so how do you go about doing it I know it's operated by Muita Tira. we're going to discuss that on the programme but would welcome thoughts from people who already live in an area where you have the text alert scheme up and running how has it been working is it working well you know do you welcome the texts that you get has it alerted you to possible crime in your area Um, we welcome your thoughts on that or if you're involved in one of the people that operate the text alert scheme in your area and you have uh, thoughts you'd like to share with us. Actually just um, it's it, well, it's, it's crime of, of a different kind and it's not something that just affects people in rural areas it's scams over the phone that can affect any of us who have a phone uh, Jim says just to let people know please that there's a scam doing the round from AIR. At the moment I have been rang twice in the last two days to tell me my broadband etc will be cut off if I don't pay my bill and if I don't pay my bill immediately I'm not even with the company for my landline are for my broadband says Jim yeah they just they're, they're randomly selecting numbers on the chance that you be guaranteed every second call that they make they will get somebody who has an air account who might just fall foul and might just think, oh my God, did something go wrong with my direct debit? Did I forget to pay that bill? And of course, then you end up handing over your details to a scam artist on the phone. So be wary of that, those calls. We've heard about them before, Jim. You're not the first to get that call. And believe me, kid, you won't be the last. Uh, 1850 333 We're going to hear why a tractor and trailer will be reversed around Mallow on Saturday morning and it is Wednesday so Peter Dowdle, the Irish gardener will be joining us um, on air answering all of your gardening questions and it was this day last week that Peter Dowdle joined me in studio he had nominated me for an initiative that he's started called One Tree at a Time and he's looking for people to plant a tree uh, please and he's, he's His dream would be if he could get a million trees planted. We spoke last week about how 50% of the rainforests have disappeared. We need to do something to protect our environment and to protect it for future generations and one way of doing that is a simple way, plant a tree and Peter is hoping people will plant a tree and then just upload it onto your Facebook your Twitter, your Instagram and just use the hashtag one tree at a time and a little bit like the Ice Bucket Challenge, you then go on and nominate family member a friend and nominate them to plant a tree and if we could get it going and on and on it would go imagine if we could get it to go viral it would be uh, fantastic so if you if you are on if you are on Facebook can you go to our Facebook page here at C103 and you will see the little video clip that we made last Wednesday of me out planting uh, a tree for hashtag one tree at a time Now yesterday on the programme we had a lot of very animated callers and texters to the programme um, when the news broke that the it made a lot of the papers yesterday that the Social Protection Minister Regina Doherty had come out to say that she was not guaranteeing the Christmas bonus this year because she was going into discussions about the budget for the Department of Social Protection and she said that there was concern around it because she had yet to find the 200 million odd money that is required to pay the Christmas bonus. That caused consternation yesterday. I did say yesterday when we were discussing it that to me this was a little bit of kite flying, a little bit of scare tactics on behalf of the government Uh, and I just wondered how long they would allow those scare tactics to go on Uh, because obviously we got a lot of calls here but I'd say there wasn't a radio station in the country that didn't get a lot of calls from people and people were very worried and very anxious about it because people who rely on the Christmas bonus, you know, rely on it for to buy, like yesterday we were hearing from grandparents, for example, pensioners who rely on it to buy Christmas presents for their grandchildren. We heard from people yesterday who say there was one lady says she buys extra f- fuel out of the Christmas bonus. Uh, she also puts extra meat into the freezer for weeks when she mightn't have a lot of money. We've other people uh, who rely on it to pay the utility bills, for example, and then others do exactly what it says on the can, what it's designed to do. The few little extra bit of luxuries that they would like to have at Christmas, that's what they use the money for. So there was a lot of people very worried yesterday. Well, the government has pledged that the Christmas bonus will still be paid uh, to more than one million social welfare recipients this year. Regina Doherty said the extra payment at Christmas for welfare recipients and pensioners would go ahead. But she did admit that there is no guarantee that this payment will be made annually. And that will remind us that there was a time where they did abolish, the Christmas bonus. And it wasn't that long ago. It was during the downturn in the economy. And I couldn't remember yesterday for how many years was there no Christmas bonus so I did a bit of research yesterday when I came off there it was 2009 was the year when they and almost 10 years ago when they, they, they didn't pay out any Christmas bonus that year in 2009 and it wasn't paid in 2010 2011 2012 or 2013 so it ran for a good number of years no Christmas bonus then they brought it back in 2014 they reinstated it at a rate of 25% then it rose to 75% in 2016 and last year the rate they paid out was 85% and it, uh, the Christmas bonus was paid in the last week in November. So we have Regina Doherty saying, OK, hold on, D- don't panic, we are going to pay it. She hasn't said how much it's going to be. I don't know if it will revert back to what it was. When it first started, it was a double payment. People got a The full Christmas bonus was a full double, whatever you get if you you get 200-odd euro a week when the Christmas bonus week came in, you got the full amount again uh, paid out. But then they started bringing in a percentage of how much you get when they reintroduce it. So it went to the highest... Uh, since the reintroduction last year at eighty five, so she's not saying is she going to pay out the full amount, the full one hundred percent, or is she going to leave it at the figure that was last year at eighty five percent? She did say that any government, any administration would need to be, and this is these are her words, incredibly thick are entirely desperate to do away with or to rely on reading him the Christmas bonus. So she says she has no intention of discontinuing the Christmas bonus for any social welfare recipients. Can I say, therefore, Regina Doherty, you need to be careful with your wording because it was her wording at the weekend uh, where she said that the money hadn't been agreed and she wasn't assured that the money was going to be there for the Christmas bonus. That then made it onto newspapers. That then put the fear of God into so many people. And we had, as I say, huge, huge number of texts and calls in from people yesterday who were very, very worried. But we also had people who don't agree with the Christmas bonus being paid. Killian, for example, said proper order. This is abolishing the Christmas bonus. A Christmas bonus entitlement is a disgrace. They should, they people in social welfare should have zero entitlements. By all means, have something for the really needy in society, but not the layabouts. What about a bonus for workers for slogging hard throughout the year and then someone else Paul says what bonus am I getting from the government I work 40 to 50 hours I worked 40 to 50 hours a week last week and I do that most weeks and when it comes to Christmas I don't get a bonus and then somebody yesterday had suggested that the best way to do it if the government didn't have enough money to pay out the Christmas bonus to everybody then Pay, don't pay it to everybody. Pay it to, for example, old age pensioners. Pay it to people on disability. But don't pay it to people who are long-term unemployed. Well, that kicked off an amount of commentary from some people, including somebody who just signed their comment L, to say, the fella that suggested us ...that the money shouldn't be paid out to people who are on long-term unemployment. If that fellow was over 50, as I was when the recession hit, he wouldn't be making that comment. As I discovered at interviews, despite laws on ageism, excuses such as insurance loadings due to length of time since driving commercially... ...which may be valid, but it is hard to get into another line of work at that age... Despite false courses, which, in my opinion, have been devalued by Mary Harney's hairdressing incident, that takes us back, and the brand change, a technical college with a two-year course are, in my opinion, better on your CV, says Elle, explaining why some people are deemed long-term unemployed, it is because of their age. Mary says, hi Patricia, I hope... This message finds you well. Thank you. Does Regina Doherty and people giving out about long-term unemployed realise that there are genuine long-term unemployed people who are out there looking for work on a daily basis and they need that Christmas bonus. They need the money to simply pay bills. Why do people hate on the long-term unemployed says Mary who I assume is long-term unemployed herself. Someone else says I agree. Give the Christmas bonus to the elderly people only. Those, if you give it to the people on the dole, they will spend it in the pubs. We are on low pay in my house and we get nothing uh, extra. We simply have to cope. And I hate those comments that they think everybody who's on the dole is going to go out and and Uh, spend the money in the pub because nothing could be further from the truth. Of course you're going to have some people who are going to do that but you're not going to have everyone. You can't tar everyone who is on unemployment benefit or unemployment allowance and say all of them are going to go out and drink it in in the pub. There will be some but likewise there will be some old age pensioners who will decide with my Christmas bonus I'm going to drink it in the pub but not everybody. And then one final one uh, says uh, on the Christmas uh, bonus um, the Christmas bonus. I hope people realise that the Christmas bonus, the majority of people use that Christmas bonus to pay bills. And for many people, they don't spend it on luxury items. You would like to think that it's been spent on luxury items, but that isn't always the case. Okay, we'll park it there uh, for now.
2: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
1: Text Patricia with your comment now 086 2103 103, 103. Now,
3: Together Ireland is a not-for-profit initiative supported by the Tomar Trust which is designed to promote and enable greater integration across Irish towns to discuss a pilot initiative in three towns namely Formoy Mitchestown and Care I'm joined by Graeme Clifford of Together Ireland Good morning to you Graeme Thank you very much for having me. Well, well it's a, a pleasure to have you on the programme. Am I right in saying that there isn't a town or village across the country that doesn't have people from different nationalities living there?
4: No, I mean, um, I suppose over the last 15 years, um, you're right in saying that, I should say, over the last 15 years in particular, you know, migration into towns and communities outside of the main urban centres has become very much the norm. Um, today in Ireland we've about five hundred and thirty-five thousand uh, non-Irish people living uh, in the country, so it's 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 quite large. And as you said, every town, every village now will have people in it who have come from 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 countries quite far away. And I suppose that's why we're aiming to promote and enable greater integration in towns and villages and rural parts of the country as well, um, so that you know, the community as a whole can, can get along better together, that people
3: oh, aren't what, living
4: what, in a bit of isolation.
3: Yeah. What do you believe are the benefits of greater, of greater integration to the wider community?
4: Well, in terms of the social impact, that initially, I suppose, is a very obvious one. So if you're living in a part of the Cork or, or a part of the country, and for one reason or another, you're finding it hard to integrate or uh, you're not confident, perhaps, of getting involved in things locally, and you're not 100% sure if you should or if you can or how you'd be received. I think that leads to isolation. So uh, concurrently, you know, the benefit of getting involved in your local community means you your network grows, you know more people, you're aware of the services that you can use, and as a result, that impacts things like local businesses, you know. Uh, businesses in towns like Vermoy and so on are forever trying to come up with you know, ways of getting more people through their doors and using their businesses. And if you consider, in a town like Formoy, for example, that almost one in four of the people who live in the town are non-Irish, then it would make sense that greater integration would lead to improved business, for example, improvement in, in local business, for example. Then, you know, if you look down the line, Patricia, we don't want to go down the line of a UK or France or the US in terms of failing, I suppose, with integration policy. So that we want our children and their children to grow up in an Ireland that's much more integrated and where ethnicity or race or religion doesn't matter as much in a local area as getting along with your neighbour does and helping each other.
3: Well, because we don't have a history of inward migration. And it's interesting that you mentioned like England and France. We can learn lessons from other countries.
4: We can. It, you know, one very interesting thing, Patricia, and I, I don't know if you've ever done this, you know the, those tests you can do uh, to trace your ethnicity? You know, The, the ancestry
3: ones, yeah, yeah.
4: Exactly, yeah. exactly. So my brother, so I'm from Kerry originally, and my parents come from within a few miles of each other in Kerry, and their parents similar. So I thought we were as Irish as Irish could be. And then you do one of these tests and you realise, oh, there's a percentage from southern Europe, there's a percentage from the Balkan areas, There's a percentage from Northern Europe, which I presume is Viking. So, over the over the centuries, obviously we don't remember it. Over the centuries, Ireland has been a kind of a place where people have come and gone. By by our nature as a remote island, you know, always you'd have people coming and going uh, from other countries. So it, it is there in our background somewhere. But you're right to say, in living memory, you know, we've always been a country of emigration rather than immigration. So it's kind of learning how to deal with that. You know, there's a, great, there's a saying that somebody said to me recently, in Ireland we're very tolerant of diversity, but we don't necessarily always celebrate it or, or harness it to the best for everybody. So that's what this initiative is aiming to do.
3: And I'm interested in that figure that one in four in Formoy are uh, from, from different countries. How many different nationalities would, would live in, in a town like Formoy and in town?
4: So my, my latest calculation for Fermoy, and this is by no means scientific now, it's very much anecdotal from speaking to people, is that in Fermoy and, and the surrounding area, you'd have about 53 different nationalities. Oh, goodness. Now keep in mind that Moore Park is, uh, is in Fermoy as well. Yeah, so that of course. Attracts a lot of people from around the world. But I was in a classroom yesterday in St. Fanahan's up in Mitchellstown with a brilliant transition year class up there. And we got, I got out a blue marker and I said, right, let's write down all the nationalities that we know of in Mitchellstown And we came up between us with 34 different nationalities in Mitchellstown. Now, Mitchellstown wouldn't be considered, you know, as ethnically diverse somewhere else. But yes, we had all these nationalities, you know. Um, and so, and in Kerr, which is the third town just over the border in Tipperary, um, almost 30% of the town would be non-Irish. That's huge. I mean, that's almost one in three. So, it, 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 when you hold that mirror up to town and you say, "Guys, this is this is who's living here. This is the community," mm. then people go, "Ah, okay. Perhaps it is. It, it, it is an idea to have, to see how, what we can do to to uh, to, 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 to
3: integrate them." What What are the barriers to integration, though?
4: Language is the big one. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, still from the census of two thousand and sixteen, Patricia, uh, it, it still shows that in the the three towns that we're using in the pilot that um, a third of the non-irish uh, people living in that those communities would classify their level of english as as not at all to very poor so that's a big problem you know the one in three and uh, and you'll always have people you know i i lived abroad myself and probably wasn't the greatest at integrating when i look at it now because in my head i was thinking i'm there to work i would be going back to ireland soon and you know what I mean, your, your heart is elsewhere, but it is undoubtedly a problem in terms of, of integrating. And so, you know, we want to look at, well, why is that the case? What are the barriers to learning English? Is it that you just choose not to, or is it that, you know, you, you can't afford the courses, or the courses aren't there, or the time but the courses doesn't work for you, or you don't have the confidence to start? So, you know, hopefully we'll be learning about that. Other barriers to integration, well, I suppose, you know, in, in, in Fermoy, for example, there's almost 1,000 uh, Polish nationals living here. There's, there's just over 800. That's big. Eight. So you can, in a way, have your own community within a community and maybe, you know, as the Irish do in other countries... Yeah, and, we, and we've bit.
3: always... The Irish have yeah. always been great about doing that.
4: Exactly. And maybe, you know, if there's that many people in a community, you feel, well, I don't really need to do too much. But what we want to do is get the Polish community in Formoy as well. I've, I've been in and out of the, the Polish shop in Formoy, which is fantastic. But very few Irish people would go in there, and they're not great uh, at the moment at, at kind of you know letting, I guess, people who don't go in there regularly knowing what they have to offer, yeah. for example. Yeah. So bridging that gap, you know, very few Irish people would go into the Polish shop, but similarly, very few Polish people would step over the. Threshold of the GAA pitch, yeah. You know, in, so, so actually, it's, it's
3: interesting. You mentioned the, the the GAA. I mean, sports and oh. sporting clubs and sporting bodies can hugely benefit from from integration with with oh. new blood coming into their clubs.
4: Not only new blood, definitely. Not only getting young people involved, but keeping young people involved. Often you'll have GAA coaches going into schools, and the children of non-Irish people. Playing GAA, then getting to a certain age, having to choose what sport they do, and they might choose something else because there isn't a kind of a, an inbuilt appreciation or knowledge of what the GAA is and represents at home. You know, so what one of the things we want to do as well, and the GA club here in Fromy actually has been very receptive, is um, trying to get adults along as well. You know, have an opening open thing. You know, putting a sign up in the local Polish shop in Polish saying do you want to come up to the JAA pitch on a certain night and we'll have an introduction to JAA and a bit of a, you know, something to eat or something and, you know, making them aware that this is really open to them. They're really welcome to participate in it. And so you don't just get the players. You know, there isn't a JAA club in the country that couldn't do with more volunteers, Mm. more supporters, more fundraisers. So, you know, you're, you're kind of just, gently bringing the communities together.
3: Okay, you've got a couple of public meetings arranged for this week, uh, one in fromoy one in Mitchellstown. Tell me about that, tell me about who you're hoping will attend.
4: Yeah, so so tonight we have, this evening we have one in Fromoy at half seven in the Heron Cafe uh, in the square in Fromoy And then next, um, Thursday of next week in Mitchellstown at 7.30 in Forest Hall, we'll have... Uh, the first public meeting. So, the aim of these really is just to to get people to stop and think about um, the levels of integration maybe in their community, and the same kind of thing. Questions that you've asked me, you know, why is this important? What are the barriers? How can it be done? And that kind of thing. So, we're we're tonight we're hoping to get uh, you know people living in Formoy who are from uh, Ireland, but also from other parts of the world, business people, the local. Uh, community. gardener will be there and, and, and we'll talk to people about his experience of, you know, the diversity and integration in the town um, and people from schools and, and things like this will be there as well. I should say one of the things we're doing as well, Tricia, is I'm working with um, getting advice from the Department of Government in UCC and we're doing a little bit of attitude and behaviour and attitude surveying in these towns and transition your students are going to be doing that with us. So they'll be gauging, you know, the, the attitudes, but also the behaviours of people in these towns in terms of migration and in terms of integration. Uh, to see, well, what, what do people think? What do people really think? And how do they think the town could improve through integration? So it's it's quite holistic and it's quite ambitious. And integration doesn't happen overnight.
3: It no, time. It, it will take time. And I know yeah. you're involved in, and we spoke with you about the sanctuary runners. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, this is the, the group that you got local people to run with asylum seekers in, in direct provision in the Cork City Marathon. That went well. Mm.
4: We had 200 people. Did you? F- 41 nationalities. Oh, we got We had 51 from, yeah, 51 from indirect provision and then 150 odd uh, Irish people. It was amazing. Fabulous.
3: Well and what's done.
4: happened? What's happened since is that a uh, group is being set up in Dublin and Limerick and Waterford. We've already set up a group in Kerry and Galway as well. So it's you know it's a very simple idea, but often they're the ones. that have But that, and that, and well, it's all know. back
3: to integration as well. Uh, keep us updated on your progress, uh, Graham. Uh, I think it's a fantastic initiative, and as I said at the outset, it is supported by the Tomar Trust. That's Tom hmm. Cavanagh's in um organization, that's, isn't it? That's that's yeah. right. Yeah. And, you know
4: their their kind of mantra is you know. Uh, uh, you know, local uh, implementation but national kind of reach and that's very much what, what the you... Together Ireland initiative is trying to do I should tell people as well uh, Patricia, if they want to find out more we're developing a website but if you go on to Twitter and go to Together Ireland put in Together Ireland with two the number rather than the word so Together Ireland okay. uh, they can find out more about what we're doing there Patricia.
3: Okay, and we'll talk with you again Graeme in the meantime, thank you for that and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is Graeme Clifford of Together Ireland in advance of those two meetings uh, which are happening in Formoy tonight and in Mitchellstown tomorrow night. Best of luck uh, to everybody involved. 1850 333 103.
2: This is Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103.
3: Now we spoke on the programme on Monday about rural crime with Seamus Sherlock of the ICSA uh, who was telling us that many families live in fear in their homes. The great work of Community Alert was mentioned during the course of the interview so it was good to hear that the government has allocated funding for Community Text Alert schemes which are operated by Winton and Teara. Uh, Diarmut is Community Alert Development Officer for the South with Mointin and Tierra and uh, Dermot joins me. Good morning to you, Dermot. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you well, welcome, I suppose just remind us and explain to us how the community text alert scheme works
5: The scheme is set up in each local area by local people involved in community alert uh, My Donutera provides a server to send the messages The guardi send the text alert out to either one group or indeed every group in their district via our server. The messages are short, concise messages about local trade.
3: An example?
5: It could be um, recently there, a few weeks ago, there was a car travelling around the, for my Mallow, Desmond area, robbing houses. The uh, description of that car was uh, transmitted to virtually every group in the area.
3: And then the idea being, if somebody spots that car, you ring your local guard at the station ASAP. Yes. yes. So, it, prevent, it does prevent crime.
5: We see a drop, a consistent drop in burglary rates of over 50% in the districts where the text alert is being used uh, vigorously by the garda Chicana. It uh, enhances their communication and the trust of people in the community with the Guardi when it's used
3: vigorously. Somebody has just said the text alert service in Mill Street is absolutely brilliant. It's well worth the €10 euro fee per year. It gives people peace of mind to beware of criminals in their uh, um, area. Um, and this funding that was announced this week of some €1,500 from the Department of um, the, the Department of Justice and Equality, how do groups access the funding that was announced by the department?
5: There's, there's an application the main internet here website which can be downloaded and printed off and the details and information sent on that form back to us to apply for each group's rebate. The, um, the cost uh, that the group incurs over the course of a year like, is what we look at when we're allocating um, a rebate to a particular group.
3: And that figure that that Mill Street listener said of ten euro a week, a uh, ten euro a year, is that typical of what people are asked to to pay? Yes, that
5: yeah. would be uh, that would be pretty standard across yeah. the country.
3: Yeah, well, well worth it for to give that kind of peace of mind. Do we have many such schemes here in Cork? Do yes, uh,
5: there's a scheme in virtually every part in the is county.
3: Is there? Okay.
5: So some some schemes uh, piggyback on close friends and neighbours like, but I don't think there's an area in the county that is absolutely devoid of text alert to this stage. Of course, we'd always like to see more people uh, getting involved.
3: And signing up for
5: it. And uh, and more messages um, sent out by the guardian.
3: And then you will often drive through an area and you'll see text alert scheme. And that's basically telling the criminals, beware, if you come into our area there's a high chance that a text will be sent about you, about you and details about you.
5: Yes, uh, actually, the way it works is that if some local sees something that they regard as a bit out of the ordinary, instead of sending a text themselves, what they'll do is they'll phone the guard the station, let the guard know about what they've seen. That will be checked out then on pulse by the station sergeant. And if he feels that an alert
3: he'll send us. It. it's it's, it, it's, a it, great, it's a great it, scheme
5: it isn't the uh, local that is actually uh, creating
3: course, of course. Seamus Sherlock in our chat on Monday spoke about people not reporting crimes. Is it important to always report a crime to and the Gardaí, even if it's just a small item has been stolen?
5: Patricia, the not reporting of crime is what closed Garda stations a few years ago. It's very important to
3: Somebody said, uh, Patricia, could you could you ask your, your listener there, who's uh, Dermot Cronin from winton uh, the Development Officer for the South, uh, about a text alert, alert service in Charleville as I am unaware if there is one, says this text. Is there one in Charleville?
5: There is. Uh, is uh, there? And every bit around it. Coleman's will, if in um, Newtown-Chandram,
3: Alerts. ok is it only rural areas do do, do uh, I'm just wondering could that listener be in the actual town of Charleville do towns operate them
5: uh, a slightly different system um, because the type of information and the type of message that you'd send to people living in a town is a different uh, there's no point at all in sending uh, information about suspicious cars into towns because they're absolutely uh, blinded with the amount of vehicles passing through it would be very unusual oh, of
3: course, it, would, it yeah. would be a major threat yeah, yeah.
5: Scams, uh, theft from shops—all these kind of things are uh, are the type of messages that can be very useful to uh, business people in the towns, and uh, and
3: they have their own system, don't they?
5: We're actually setting up a system with a number of towns at the moment involved in it, uh, using our application for the smartphone well, so so that, um, this is an application that we developed about a year ago it's a modernisation really of what is a very very old technology the SMS text the application
3: and where, when do you hope to have that up and running?
5: well there's a number of towns at the moment in Ireland um, adopting that system, shopkeepers, uh, people that are involved in business in these towns and uh, we're rolling that out as, as as we speak.
3: Okay, all right. We may talk about that uh, with you again uh, but I'm over on time. Uh, Dermot, a pleasure as always. Thank you for that and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, that is uh, dear That is uh, Cronin who is the Community Alert Development Officer with of Winton Interior. The person from Childbirth says I'm not in the town. Uh, well, the, Dermot says there are a number of Texelettes let, um services schemes should I say in the Charleville area so if you go on to mwinter, uh, dot ie, you should be able to find uh, one in your area 1850 333103 uh, Pia in Coachford says new scam doing the round I got a text from a company called T Audit advising me. I had 891 euro coming to me, prompting me to complete my audit online and then giving a link to a website that no doubt was a complete scam uh, website. Uh, P is wondering has anybody else heard of that? That's a new one uh, on me. There's so many different scams doing the round. Anything like that raises suspicions. I think even if you get a genuine text or a genuine call from a company now, alarm bells start to ring and I think it's probably only right and proper because there's so many scams doing the rounds and they just keep changing it. their modus operandi changes almost on it's not even a weekly basis it's almost on a daily basis and they do that because of course word gets out about a particular scam so they'll stop doing that they'll change it and change it into something else or use new wordings uh you know do, do it by text to try and catch people out so just to be very very careful I certainly Pia, haven't come across uh, that before and thank you to Lisa who sent me a WhatsApp earlier and this was with regard to a conversation I had can I can I preface it by saying it was a tongue in cheek conversation that I had with John Green earlier on and Lisa pointed out something that I said that she reckons could cause could have caused offence and I apologise if it did cause offence. Lisa says, Patricia I enjoy your programme every morning, thank you for that but I heard you refer to older people as old fogies this morning when you were talking with John Green. Now Trish older people do not like the term old fogies, they're either called older people, senior citizens are at times recent Recycled teenagers, which I have to say I have particular love of that particular term. I work with older people and I've heard them mention on many occasions that it is one expression that they absolutely hate. They hate to be called old fogies. And Tricia, do you know what fogies mean? Have a good day and keep up the good work. Well, I I did a quick them Google check, uh, Google definition on a dictionary definition on fogies. And fogies means a very old fashioned or conservative Person, And you have the plural of it, a bunch of old fogies. So my apologies to any older person. It was a very tongue in cheek piece that I was doing with John Green this morning. I would never refer in a more serious interview. To older people as old fogies, I don't even know if I use the phrase that much. But but anyway, I apologise. I put my hand up. I did. I absolutely. I don't remember using it. But I trust. I trust you, Lisa, when you say that you heard me say it. So I apologise because I was talking about older people when I was having a a bit of a laugh uh, with John this morning. So my apologies to any older person out there if I offended by that comment. Now, also, Michael says Patricia. Oh, this is interesting. You know when we've been talking about the Christmas bonus and yesterday, you know, a lot of the newspapers were running with stories no Christmas bonus was going to be paid and Regina Doherty, Minister for Social Protection, had come out and had said that she hadn't secured the money and she was going into negotiations around the budget and I did say that I felt this was a bit of kite-flying, a bit of scaremongering. but, you know, the fact that so much of the media had picked up on it, it was putting the fear of God in a lot of uh, people. Michael in Castletown Bear has a theory as to why Regina Doherty did it because she's straight out today saying that the bonus, Christmas bonus will be paid and she also came out that saying that any government would want to be incredibly thick or entirely desperate to do away with the Christmas bonus and yet she, the day before, said that she hadn't secured the money for it. Didn't make any sense to me. Michael reckons the reasoning behind it is that Regina Doherty needed to get a bit of public attention especially when her constituency friend, Helen McEntee, is extremely popular with the TV and the media with uh, Brexit because, of course, uh, she's uh, responsible for European affairs within the government. And yeah, Helen McAtee, anytime anything is to do with Brexit, you'll see Helen McAtee on the news. So Michael reckons Regina Doherty was trying to get a bit of extra uh, public attention and a bit of media blitz on her. And you could be right on that one, Michael, because there was one of the Sunday papers some of the Sunday papers ran uh, they did a poll where they went out with uh, asking people I don't know if it was face to face or if it was done over the phone but they were asking people to rate their various the various ministers and uh, TDs from around the country and the females did particularly bad I think it was I think it was the government ministers and junior ministers but it was the females did particularly bad in that a lot of people didn't even know who they were so maybe maybe who knows and we will never know um, Michael and I'm sure if I rang her up and asked her she would deny deny it completely and say it was nothing to do with that but I like your thinking I have to say now Sandy has been on saying I've been listening to the PAC, PAC analysing the presidential costs and expenditure in my opinion once in 20 years is enough to hold an election President serves no real function other than referring laws to the Supreme Court to test the constitution- constitutionality and signing acts of doll into law all this can be done by a Supreme Court justice or a High Court judge um, I'm not going to actually vote in this election. Whoa, says Sandy, who then tags on to the text. By the way, what is the blasphemy referendum all about? And we are having a blasphemy referendum. It has been announced that when we go to the polls on the 26th of October, oh, a month today, 26th of September today, so a month today, we go to the polls. So we'll go to the polls to vote on our president. Looks like now we'll know, close the business today, six uh, candidates, so you have a choice of six, but also you'll have a second ballot paper, and that's for a referendum on removing the offence of blasphemy from the Constitution. Now, I think some people are going to be because I don't know how much debate is going to go on about this particular referendum. I've been saying it already to a few people who didn't even realise that there there was a referendum going on on the same day as the presidential election. And then when I tried to tease it out and ask people about the blast about blasphemy uh, and somebody said, I didn't even know blasphemy was in the Constitution. Well, it is in the Constitution. And I certainly think it's about 20 years, I think, when I first would have ran an interview on a call to have blasphemy removed from the Constitution. So it's, it, it gets mooted and floated every now and again. But finally, finally, it's been decided we are going uh, to the polls. What is blasphemy? I hear you cry. Blasphemy is defined as... And I'm reading this. Blasphemy is defined as a matter that is grossly abusive or insulting in relation to matters held sacred by any religion, thereby causing outrage among a a substantial number of adherents of that religion. And we do have blasphemy in our constitution. And you will remember that there was a lot of prominence and a lot of talk about blasphemy. Was it last year, the year before, when Stephen Fry did the interview with Gayburn about God and when Gayburn asked him that you know if he died and he went to the pearly gates of heaven and there was a God there how would he feel And there was uproar with Stephen Fry's comments. and Now, a lot of people, a huge number of people applauded Stephen Fry for what he had to say. And it went viral and it went well outside of Ireland and well outside of what was a small part of a bigger interview with Gay Byrne on that programme with um, Stephen Fry. That did lead to a criminal investigation, although no prosecution was brought against Stephen Fry. But at the time, there was people shouting, that's blasphemous and he should be taken to court for it. There is a defamation act of 2009 that actually made blasphemy a crime punishable by 25,000 euro fine. And that's what Stephen Fry would have been facing if somebody had uh, taken him to court. Uh, it's removal from the Constitution was recommended by the Law Reform Commission as far back as 1991. So that's when it first got mooted that it should be taken um, out. And the as I say, I don't know how much debate we're going to hear between now and then because we have a one month run in. To a presidential election, I mean, obviously all the focus is going to go on the presidential election. So as I say, I don't know if we're going to see many debates on TV or on radio as to why we should or shouldn't remove blasphemy from the Constitution. The only one person I have heard who's come out uh, to say that it's a vanity project is Senator Ronan Mullen. He's he's against having this. It's, it's not really the fact that it's blasphemy but he's making the point that no one has been prosecuted for blasphemy in this country since 1855. He says the constitutional provision on blasphemy is symbolic in nature and has never had any real legal impact. He said abolishing it will not make any positive effect on the lives of Irish citizens and we will pay for it. It'll be over 3 million euro for the referendum to uh, be run with absolutely no benefits at all to the public. So he says for that reason we shouldn't be having it. 1850 If people have any thoughts at all around the blasphemy referendum, were you even aware we are having it a month today along with the presidential election? We're going to in a couple of minutes be talking about those dreadful cases of teenage Students raped in Cork since the start of the academic year, well not even a month into the college year. somebody says young women and men need to take personal responsibility for themselves and be in control of their faculties instead of knock, knocking back shots till they are so stupefied then they might then there might be some hope of cop-on, keeping them out of danger. It's a sexual playground out there these days with absolutely no boundaries taught and no conscience about everything. It seems that this generation feel they have the right to do whatever they want to do. What older generations were taught was simply wrong. It's not taught anymore. Now, the end of this text says disease will wake up sick Ireland." that cause that progress. Well, as I say, we will talk with Mary Crilly. I know she, one of the points that she will be making, it wasn't always drink. It wasn't always drinking, for because and when you think of those young teenage girls, the transition year students who were at the ploughing and there's an alleged case of sexual assault on them you can't they, they were in their hotel rooms and a predator it looks like it was a predator came in on top of those I mean who you, you can't blame the young girls in a, in a case like that can you now some of the rape cases unfortunately the girls won't go to a guy that to report it because they believe Um, and I think wrongly just because they were drunk they brought it on themselves nobody but nobody regardless of how drunk you are uh, asks or looks uh, to be raped somebody says Patricia was the match on television yesterday yes it was and John Paul yesterday was so frustrated with the amount of people who were ringing up who couldn't find Virgin Media 3 on their TVs I'm with Sky and I think it's on 116 it's the old I think BE was what it used to be when it was TV3 but yes it was it was on the, it was televised uh, yesterday afternoon Now, some people who went along to the match have contacted us, Uh, Dan in Charleville was at the match yesterday, he said it was a fantastic sporting occasion, he got into the VIP lounge and he met a lot of VIPs in there and then he said last night he only discovered that it was Charlie Duggan from Weedham, through this programme can I say they got Father Liam Kelleher the ticket for the match and uh, Dan in Charleville says all traffic management worked a treat he was very very happy with the day Jonah Newmarket was also at the match yesterday she wonders would they consider putting the match out on a DVD because it would make extra money which they could perhaps give to smaller soccer clubs to help to train youngsters is that something who knows? Maybe that's something they're going to. They, they they may consider. I don't know how many people would want to sit down and watch the match again, though. Joan is the problem because it wasn't the most exciting of matches. And Actually, Charlie Duggan, thank you, Charlie. I've just spotted Charlie has uh, contacted us uh, this morning to say yeah uh, he met up with Father Liam and it was Father Str- Stritch from Whelan had the extra ticket which we passed, then passed on to Father Leem. so Father Liam got to go to the match and all that Charlie says that when he got up to the city the car park at Carl's was full but they were lucky they ended up finding a space in the Paul Street car park he said they had an absolutely great day now Charlie accepts the match wasn't great but he said uh, you could not expect anything else as so they're all pushing all a it in years yeah and it livened up a little bit in the second half but he enjoyed his day out well done Charlie and thank you for jumping in and, and helping out Father Leam Yesterday it was much appreciated. 1850
1: 333 103. C103 jobs.
3: Qualified, experienced chef is required for de- work, daytime work Mondays to Fridays in uh, Mallow Town. An electrical contractor in the Mallow area is looking for an electrical apprentice, while an experienced hairdresser is wanted to work part time flexi hours at the hair lounge in uh, Bottevant. And Griffin's Garden Centre are looking for till operators. You must be available to work midweek and have some previous experience, please. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
2: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
3: Cork
1: today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment now. 1850 333 103
3: Now according to a front page story in the Irish Examiner by own English yesterday and picked up uh, nearly all of the papers today, three teenage female college students have been raped here in Cork since the start of the university term The shocking details were revealed by Mary Critty of the Cork Sexual Violence Centre who joins me. Good morning to you Mary. Morning, morning. And and you are welcome. Firstly, these three young girls, how are they doing? I mean, these rapes must have but had a devastating impact on their lives.
6: Two of them are doing very well. Two of them don't want to go back to college because if you think they're freshers and they haven't an established a network around them, they haven't established when, they haven't established even where to go or where places are. And no, I'm not saying at this stage which college it was. I know the assumptions that there's only one college in Cork, but there's, there's more. There's not, but they're not yeah. doing great because um, like, they came to Cork, they came kind of really happy really excited really anxious about a new life a new course kind of would they cope with it they didn't have to go home to mammy and daddy so they were experiencing a bit of freedom um, and they were at parties or whatever usually in accommodation where they felt safe they weren't out in the street looking for anything and it's the same thing they would know who did it it's either somebody older a year or two ahead of them who would have said to them look I know what's like starting off if you need anything let me know there's my number and then might have groomed him over the previous week I might just even that night. I know grooming is a word we use for child sexual abuse, but it's the same too because these guys will gain their trust. The guys who are doing it don't look like what people might think a rapist looks like. They might think of a guy who's very intense sitting in the corner um, looking around. He's just very intense looking in the corner. He might be just quite shy and quite lonely. Most of these guys to do this have a huge sense of entitlement, a huge sense of aggression, and it's never about just wanting to get off with someone for the night. It's always about wanting to have power and control. And how I brought this up the other night was as a meeting of the Cork City Joint Policing Committee, which would be made up of city councillors, members of the directors and a few members of the public participation network, so that's community people, and i lucky to have a seat on it in that kind of way and I was aware that the the Protective Services Unit in Cork City that deal with all cases of sexual violence, domestic violence, child sexual abuse, trafficking and all that and they're totally under-resourced and anytime somebody leaves there they're not replaced but there's been talk for the past year or two about opening one in North Cork and West Cork and now I'm told that might happen sometime next year and these are vital so what's happening now is the cases that the that this section would have dealt with are going back to the guard stations. I'm not saying the guards in the stations aren't capable in dealing with it, but they often are Often other cases whether it's burglary whether it's wherever they have to go off and deal with. Whereas in the protective services unit that's just for dealing with sexual crime or domestic violence crime. So I was trying to put the pressure on and by saying and this also happens, because there was talk at the meeting about um, how great the guards dealt with pressures this year that the residents weren't disturbed, which I thought was wonderful, but I also thought we need to talk about the invisibility, we can't keep hiding this, we can't keep blaming the guards we need to kind of raise awareness about who's doing this and see if we can stop it like all I ever wanted, as you know, is to stop the victim blaming I mean, I know I can't yeah. stop everything, but if I can help people not feel guilty or responsible or feel ashamed because somebody has sexually assaulted them and somebody had both their legs broken, they could tell everybody about it. They could be on your program. But all of a sudden, if it's still a sexual assault, they're laden with shame. It's their shame and their guilt. And it isn't. And these guys know they'll get away with it because they've established a network. They know their friends won't say anything. And I'm also asking the good guys, the majority of men out there are really good guys. I'm asking them to stand up and be counted and say if they know somebody's doing this that it's not on as inappropriate. I mean, the, pi- but, the picture you're
3: painting of, of the the guys doing it, I mean, they, they're they sexual predators,
6: they are predators. I mean, I know I don't know what to say with in the old oak because he's really pushed the Ask for Angela campaign, yeah. There, um, and he said he sees them now more outside the pub rather than inside the pub looking around for somebody. And what he does is and the staff he has them all ready to photograph these guys. And he sees guys outside who he knows are predators, who he knows are just hanging around for a smoke, who he knows are waiting for young girls to come out, he'll photograph them and as soon as he gets rid of them. I don't know how far they go, but at least he's trying in some kind of way to do something to raise awareness about it.
3: And it's not just cork, because I was reading in the papers today
0: Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, YahooFinance.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify.
3: Uh, from the uh, rape crisis centres from around the country. I mean, you know, Galway are saying almost 50 students uh, incidents of, of rape sexual assault in the first six months. I saw Nolene Blackwell from the Dublin Race Crisis Centre talking about how dangerous it is for first years, how vulnerable they are. And the first two months, September, October, are usually the busiest.
6: Well, usually um, people wouldn't come into us maybe until March, April. Like, let's get real here. It's where somebody will come in straight away They're freshers because they want to just put their head down and see if they can cope with things. But often when it's exam time in February, March, they're coming to exams and they can't cope. That's often when they come in. Um, But it is happening everywhere. It really is. I mean, it's not just Cork. It couldn't be Cork. It's everywhere. I just happened to be the one. When I heard it, I just thought, I can't shut up about this. I have to say something. I have to highlight it because... And since then, we've had a number of parents ringing in the centre who said it happened to their daughters or their sons, either this year or a couple of years ago. And they felt a bit of relief that they wouldn't do anyone, you know, when we were saying this is happening. um, And they've been ringing in and saying it's happened to their daughters. So we just need to keep the conversation going and look at these guys. The problem is, we look at these guys and they usually look great. They're usually um, good college students and we think we're not going to ruin their career. They're ruining somebody's life. So they really need to be challenged and taken on because um, if a guy rapes a girl or rapes a young boy, there's no consequences, very little consequences. You know yourself, even if something does go to court, the victim will get grilled for a day, two days, a week, whereas the perpetrator doesn't even have to go on the stand. So if we are to encourage people to report, and I think the majority of people in Ireland believe in justice, and I totally believe that, and one thing's changed, we really have to keep talking about it, even if sometimes, you know, people might say, enough, enough, I find it very difficult to think about this subject, because it's difficult, we have to keep talking about it, it's the only way we can make changes, and you know what, we are making changes, because years ago... um, we wouldn't be talked about. Years ago, the play like um, Louise O'Neill's play and the man wouldn't have been booked off for the mm-hmm. week. So we are making small changes, so it's just a matter of um, letting others know out there that we know and we support them in any way we can.
3: And none, and back to the three girls that you're you're particularly working with at the moment, none of them have reported to the guy, they?
6: They haven't because they feel um, that the guy has is either consensual or he said nobody you will believe you. Or else they feel that to go back to college, they're going to be isolated from everybody because they're already kind of called different names, and that's their fear. Like, what's the point? You know, if they go to court, will they even get a conviction? Mm-hmm. And then everybody in college will know about it, and they feel they'll be isolated, they'll be picked on, they'll be have a very difficult time for a time that they came to court feeling so excited about.
3: Their whole career can be destroyed.
6: Their it can lives be. In, ahead. I've seen young girls totally dropping out. And I mean, going home to parents, up to country maybe, and the parents don't, not understanding what's going on because they might find it difficult, you know, to tell the parents if they're from a rural community. Um, I'm not saying people in rural communities don't understand, but they feel they don't hurt their parents or they've let them down in some kind of way because the parents have saved and got their act together and, ah, you know, managed them. to pay rent. And they feel that, they feel that they've let them down.
3: Now we had, and there was only one call in uh, earlier when I teed up that you were coming on the programme, pointing the finger of blame at, at drink and saying these young girls need to be responsible for themselves and stop drinking
6: so much. I have yet to meet a young girl who isn't responsible for herself. I think, you know, I'm just asking her to be responsible for herself. They're asking her to be responsible for his behaviour. And somebody who says that, I say, get a grip because that is totally unfair and um, if a guy is on the street and he gets his head kicked in and he's quite drunk he's not blamed because he's drunk he's blamed because there's more violence in the street because there's not enough street lighting as it should be you know he's not totally blamed for it which is the way it should be i think it's outrageous to say that i wish that was the case because then i'd have everybody in aa or, or abstaining if i thought if you're sober, you won't get raped. But we've seen elderly women getting raped. Mm. We've seen older men getting raped. I've seen young girls getting raped. And they have not had a drop of drink on them. And, and, the, sto-
3: and the story rape. that's making... Yeah. I mean, I don't have any a lot of detail on it that's making the Irish Daily Mail of an alleged sexual assault of, of three young schoolgirls at the Ploughing Championship last week. They were in a and hotel was, room. It, None it of them surprising.
6: were drinking. Yeah, yeah, it was surprising because people just think it's all to do with big parties, too much to drink, um, our festivals. And like I say, the people we meet... Uh, They might just be going for a walk with someone. They might have met somebody somewhere. There's no drink. I mean, the perpetrators are there. They'll do it whether you're drunk or sober. Easier if you're drunk because you're more vulnerable um, and they can do exactly what they want to. Whereas the other guy, the average guy, will leave you be. He'll try something on. If you're not interested, he might make a few comments at you, but he'll leave you be. That's what most guys do. But the guys who want to rape, want to abuse, they don't care whether you're drunk or sober. I think the idea of adding... Of what somebody has gone through by saying it's her own fault because she was drunk, I think it's appalling.
3: And so, more resources needed for the Guard, the National uh, Protective Services Bureau that that you spoke about. And I can see a couple of mothers worried about their daughters who are away at college. Says, so ask Mary, what can young girls do to protect themselves, particularly when they're out socialising?
6: Well, I think what you can do is make sure you get home safe. Make sure you know we've said this before that. your your friend knows it's very easy for two or three girls to be in a pub (coughs) one is in the bathroom one leaves with someone and then the other forgets where they all are so as a matter of really reinforcing this in your head (coughs) ring your friend ring somebody and let them know you got home safe because sometimes these guys haven't found till three or four in the morning and you, you wonder, kind of, where well are with their friends? I think that's all you can do, really, just keep an eye out for each Look other. Look out
3: for each other. Yeah. All right, Mary, and your number if people need to contact uh, the... 1-800-496-496.
6: 496 let ask the people in North Cork to keep the pressure on to get the Protective Services Unit open in North Cork. Okay. Like ask the councillors and everybody else out there to get
3: it open. OK, Mary Critty of the Cork Sexual Violence Centre thank you as okay, always for joining you. us uh, good morning to you, 1850 333 103 what an awful world it can be out there uh, for some young people, I mean those three young students, I mean to think that they've dropped out of college and one of their mothers uh, doesn't even know what's going on one of the young students too afraid to tell their parents because in that case there was drink involved and the parents don't realise that they that they drink but it wasn't any of their faults that's for sure 1850 333 103 Bernie taking your calls, jump all off for a few days. Text or WhatsApp 086 to one hundred three, and don't forget today is Wednesday so you can get gardening questions in for Peter Dowdell and he'll be joining us in the final hour of the programme. Now most people would find driving a tractor and trailer around a busy town an arduous trip so to explain why he's going to do it in reverse is Mallow Man Eddie Mannix who joins me in studio. Good morning to you Eddie Good morning. And, and you are very welcome. Okay the plan is to reverse a tractor and trailer around Mallow this Saturday. What route
8: are you taking? Well where I work now is below in Mallow Test Centre, Mallow Commercials. We'll in, just move that microphone a little bit closer no to you. It's, it. yeah. it's below in Mallow Commercials there, just in Quartertown. Perfect. And what I'll be doing is I'll be leaving there fri- Saturday morning at half five, reversing out the gate up towards Mallow Brakes, turning right over past C103, past the Wild Goose, onto the Cork Mallow Road, heading in towards the roundabout in Mallow, turning left out to Clarney Road, keep going on out past the race course, I'll be turning left beyond that then for Longfields Bridge, up along past the Beat factory houses, along by the council yard, over by the Beat factory, down to Clyde Bridge, back around by Quarter Town by OC Motors, over the railway bridge and past Mallow Commercials again. And I'll be doing that four times. And the
3: total length of the journey?
8: 40 kilometres.
3: And by and if and when, and I know you will do it, it you'll, you, you'll set a world record?
8: Hopefully it will be a world record, yeah. It'll still have to be submitted to the to Guinness for it, for it to be a world record, but hopefully I'll get it.
3: And what's the what's the record you're trying to beat?
8: Thirty kilometers, just over thirty kilometers. I think it's thirty point one or two kilometers, okay. and that was set oh. by a Carlo Man in August.
3: Oh, you're really going to go well over? Yeah. yeah, yeah, um, Can you practice for this?
8: Not really. Do you know they there's, there's not much practicing you can do for it. Only if you've. D- back trailers and tractors and stuff like that you just sit in and you go at it I will have escort vehicles with me to help me out and the guards are coming on board as well with me to help me that morning so it is just a matter of start off nice and slow and steady and see if I can build up the pace a little bit to, to do it
3: The hardest part is going to be what?
8: Uh, I was assumed the fatigue of being turned around constantly in the seat looking over your shoulder yeah. for four hours I'd say yeah. that will be that will be fairly yeah, torturous you
3: need to get a massage organised for as soon as you finish I'll, I can what have a else? chat with my wife about that then later on <laughs> Get the oils ready, uh, because your neck is going to be just absolutely killing you. Uh, Well done, and good luck with it. It's fantastic. Now, what's it all about? You're not just doing it because you fancy driving around Mallow backwards uh, (laughs) for for, for nigh on four hours. It's for Temple Street Children's Hospital. It's for
8: Temple Street, yes. For Temple Street Children's Hospital in Dublin. Um, They're a hospital that's been very, very close to our hearts. Um, Back in 2013, they were our youngest daughter, Aoife. Uh, when she was six weeks old she got the whooping cough Um, and with the whooping cough, in um, pneumonia jumped on board as well so what we ended up doing was um, she ended up having to be rushed by ambulance from Cork up to Dublin and we spent the next three to four months above in Dublin um, in ICU with her she was a very very sick baby We, we nearly lost her a few times
3: people don't realise how devastating whooping cough can be
8: yeah, um, we Temp- were very lucky. We were very lucky every time the doctors and nurses and everyone up there they, at the start was always, you know, look, she's stable today, but she's a very sick child. And it was we were hearing that for weeks until eventually she's a miracle. It's yeah. an absolute miracle. That child is a miracle.
3: You, uh, you uh, people would have seen you in the in the program they did on Tempest Street. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. were filming when you were up there. They that? were.
8: Yes, yes. Um, We, we were on the Tempest Street Children's Hospital show. Um. It was, uh, I think, it was season six, episode six. Um, everybody kind of remembers it as the one with the child had the coin stuck in his tooth. Oh yeah, do you yeah, know that yeah. that was the one we were. I yeah. think the episode was called Daddy's Girl, and it was done for us that way.
3: Okay, and they asked you, do they mind filming? Was it? Was um, so, yeah, that what happen? they
8: what it was was TV Three? Would um, they just asked us, do we mind to be filmed and stuff like that? And they said if you agreed to, it, you know, we, we, we do they do give a donation to the hospital. That's right. We were informed, so we said, yeah, anything we could do to bring awareness. To and this at as that well.
3: stage, where how was for doing?
8: Uh, Not well, not well. No, 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 no. She wasn't doing very well at all. It was a month and a half before things started to look up, if not more, you know.
3: And she's your youngest? You had other children at home? Uh, yeah, I've,
8: I've, we, my oldest girl, Zara, then um, Zara is eight as well, yeah. yeah. But we were lucky, we we, would brilliant family behind us and friends and they were really good to us and helped us in looking after Zara and stuff like that as well, they were really good to us.
3: So you, and your wife's name is? Martina. Martina, so did you and Martina just literally stay in Cromwell? We, we, uh, it was Temple Street, Street
8: yeah, yeah, we did. Um, we stayed in a bed and breakfast close by the first weekend because um, it was a very busy weekend with matches and you couldn't, we couldn't get anywhere really as close as we could, so we stayed there. And once there was a bed available in the hospital for us to stay there, we jumped on the chance straight away and we were able to stay in the hospital then, yeah.
3: For how many months did you say?
8: Three to four months. It's so long That's ago now, would you tough know? going.
3: Mm. That is tough, tough going. And then the day came where they said you can bring her home.
8: Well, we came back to Cork then with her back to CUH. Okay. And we spent a bit of time in CUH with her then and stuff like that. And um, then it was home time then. That's see, mellow. you never want to see the inside of a hospital again. Um, every now and then, they, they, they show it again on TV, the show, and tis when you hear the the monitors and they beeping, like at the time you'd walk in in the morning um, and you just see the monitors and you'd know, well, right, that's better than it was yesterday. That's Yeah, that could be better, but look, we'll keep going. But it's just the noises to send a call. And know. the thing about this is, right this minute, this is happening in Dublin. There yeah. is children above there. Like we, we were living in a bubble. Do you know we had not clue what was going on around in the world or anything like that yeah. until we actually landed above on Temple Street and we seen what was going on and it's every day of the week up there the sick children up there saw
3: and it's every parent's worst nightmare, isn't it to have have and a, and a little one that small yes so yeah. vulnerable so tiny
8: It's so tight and like as when we were there like was um, I thought was yeah yeah a week or two now and we'll be home yeah. you know we'll just put up a be. cough she's a bit for cough she'll be grand a bit of a cough yeah yeah, yeah. No, no, no no it wasn't like that at all it was very serious yeah hoping
3: cough, cough is absolutely devastating it it, it really is so. Do you hand on heart and Martina believe they saved?
8: Oh, they did, hundred percent, hundred percent. They even did. We were we, we were asked to sign um, a case study that they did on her, so it could be released to other hospitals for to help in the treatment of other children of, of other children with whooping cough. At the time, two hundred twenty thousand babies a year were dying from whooping cough worldwide. I thought it was extinct. I thought yeah. it never existed. Well, we,
3: it is because we, we, we inoculate, but of course, a six week old baby. She, she, got, she got sick when she was supposed to get uh, yeah, the just the time, it, yeah, just at the time. Just um, at the time. And how is she today?
8: Oh, lunatic. Is lunatic. She? Yeah, that's the mother coming out in her, didn't you see. <laughs>
3: She's in school and everything. She's
8: in school. Yeah, she started in Rahan National School there. now this year Um, she's in big school. Big Big school. school, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely big school. It's it's not um, not the babies. It's not the babies. No, she's in big school and ran in the door skipping. Of she she's the
3: older she's Zara She's Zara inside the school of her, with her yeah, as well yeah but sure uh, w- Would Zara have been aware of what was going on at the time or was she sheltered from it all? We
8: kind of tried to keep her sheltered as we could but like to, because of she, her being young she was with um, her her grandmother um, in Kilavulin and we, she was with um, Martina's sister and stuff like that so it was a sleepover Yeah evening, she was know? she was having a holiday and yeah, people would have, holiday, would have made yeah. a big fuss
3: but you, you, you sort of made a promise there and then that you were going to you would do something to try to help them out from a fundraising point I always like said
8: that. that I would do something Something, But I didn't know what it would be. I hadn't a clue from up until maybe just about 12 months ago. I, I see it on um, Big Week on the farm in RT. A, a farmer did a, an attempt at it and got 17 kilometres. I said, yes, I do that in my sleep. So I said I'd have a rattle off of that. So I went planning for this year and this is it No, This is this, is, this is the last push No, It's happening this Saturday.
3: Because Tempest Street Children's Hospital do bungee jumps every year. But Eddie, you've done a bungee jump.
8: I have, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. You
3: did one at the Arches for cystic fibrosis. Yeah, yeah,
8: yeah, I did. I did. And that and won't be happening again anyway. <laughs> No, no, no. Do
3: you know something? I love your honesty about it because the amount of people I interview that did bungee jumps that say, oh, well, I was a bit nervous, but it was fine, it's fine, fine, and we'd do it again. And they kind of, well, I might, I mightn't, but you're straight out honest saying, never again.
8: No. no. Not a hope. <laughs> uh, when you were standing in the basket looking down, every bone in my body said to me, what are you doing up here? So even when I tried to jump out, I still tried to catch on on the way down as well. And, <laughs> was there any part of it you enjoyed? um a couple of pints afterwards. <laughs> S- to settle the nerves again then after that was it.
3: Okay, so it's easier to reverse a tractor realm. Mallow, yeah, half I I mean, obviously the it's the, 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 the timing is important. You don't need a lot of traffic on the road, so well, that's th- the
8: th- yes, that was the main aim. Like I mean, I know I like I there's lots of tractor events going on, vintage tractor runs and stuff like that. I wanted to cause as little disruption as I could to people around the place, which is why I aimed for so early in the morning. Okay. You know? and hopefully the weather will be with me as well but I just wanted to get it out of the way nice and early so I'm hoping to be finished about nine between nine and ten o'clock I don't know exactly because I don't know how long you've, to take. you've
3: yeah you've, you've no idea and okay yeah.
8: and how can people it is a
3: fundraiser how can people support you well the
8: the, the best way they can do it is um, where I'm working below and Malo Commercials there at the test centre they can drop in um, I have a bucket below there for it. They can drop in a donation there or they can do it online through the GoFundMe page I've set up. And your GoFundMe page is? Um, help Eve for Say Thank You. Help Eve for Say Thank You, okay, yeah. Okay, and GoFundMe. Listen, we wish you the best of... And uh, um, Just love. before I go, is there anybody around that could actually help me with the filming of it? Because I will Kay. be doing it on my phone through Facebook Live, but if there was anybody or any of the businesses around Mallow that would have the facilities to help me videotape the Avengers so it would help me submit it to be brilliant that's what I okay. need OK
3: well Pat O'Hara has, has been on to us from a uh, video recording in But he's offering to video the drive free of charge if you
8: want it. Brilliant I'll get okay. Pat's number off you there Perfect. before we go Pass. and listen thank that's you very star, much you. for giving me the, well, listen, the opportunity to talk Will you
3: let us know on Monday uh, give us a buzz and let us know how you got on
8: I will of course and um, look if you're around um, Saturday morning well, please come over will be up at
3: half five You don't <laughs> have
8: to you can be over for the finish
3: line sure <laughs> nine o'clock Well we wish you the best of luck with it. It's, it's fantastic what what you're doing on I know Temple Street uh, will be thrilled and uh, Aoife can be very proud of uh, her daddy as indeed uh, Martina and Sarah are as well. Thank you for that Eddie and thanks for joining us in the studio. Thank, Good you, luck very with much. Us. Thank you Once again thanks to Pat O'Hara videographer in Charleville where we are hooking up Pat with Eddie and Pat's going to videotape it which is a, uh, free of charge which is a really kind uh, kind offer, Pat. Thank you for that. And also thanks to Mossy and Ballydesland Desundry. passed on your number. Mossy did something similar a number of years ago, so he's available to offer advice to Eddie and also is available to help out on the day. People are so, so good, but bearing in mind it's all about raising money for Temple Street Children's Hospital, which is uh, does the most amazing work. Gofundme.com on uh, EFA. Say thank you. That's the GoFundMe page. OK, we're going to take a break and we have, um, I'll get around to your a lot of uh, comments coming into the programme. But before I do, there was a piece in the paper that I'm, I just didn't get around to earlier this morning. I'd b- be really interested in people's thoughts on this. It's a story that's coming out from County Cardo, where a local parish are now at loggerheads. With the local priest there after the priest made a decision that he would change how the children who are in second class, how they will actually celebrate their first Holy Communion. And it seems a petition now has been signed by something like 250, uh, 250 people who are protesting it moves to allow the boys and girls make their first Holy Communion on any mass day in May or June Rather than having it on a specific date which is what has always happened in this parish and what happens in parishes all over the country. It's parents in a place called Askia haven't heard of it before Askia in County Carlow they fear now that their children won't be able to have the big day out with the rest of their classmates and celebrate the day with their classmates as has happened on previous years and happens in every other school around the country it seems there was a parish meeting held last week and the par- the parents of the children going to this Askia National School now two other national schools it wasn't just one school that's been targeted there's a local Gwail school as well uh, they, they were told at a parish meeting that the priests had decided that they weren't going to have a First Holy Communion day this year that instead the parents who wanted their children to make their First Holy Communion you simply bring the child along to Mass any Sunday Mass in May or June and just walk the child up to the altar house and when Communion is handed out the child will be given Communion and that would be that little boy or girl's First Holy Communion how you dress them on the day obviously is up to the families uh, as well now the parents are up in arms about it. They're arguing that the tradition of the day will die out. They've gone so far. They've got this petition with about 250 people have signed. They're even talking about protesting outside the first Sunday Mass in October if they don't get a response from the parish officials and various parents, and I'm assuming they're the parents of the second-class Students who would who are due to make their first holy communion are quoted in the papers. Some of the parents are saying that the children are very upset about all of this, and that the the, the communion day out has been a tradition. They don't want to take that away from the children. Um, one uh, mother says they can't get rid of our tradition. They say because of the tradition of people going out in big dresses, so they don't want others to feel bad that they can't afford it. So we totally understand that. But she makes this is one mother's making the point that the first holy communion day out you make it as costly as you want to make it she said children want to make their communion with their classmates and have the excitement of practicing together she said our children want to take the creed for themselves with their head held high and with their friends offering gifts and singing with the choir obviously all of that would would be taken away from them Um, another mother said that other parents didn't want it to set a precedent for other traditions into the future. Now, I don't know what they're talking about there, whether they mean that what will happen is confirmation will also uh, go. Uh, They talk about we bring all different cultures into the school and we have to stand and do something uh, on this one to protect one of our own traditions that it doesn't uh, die out. Other local residents, though, have praised the decision to remove the set day for First Holy Communion saying that it would remove the pressure of spending money on Communion days out and focus instead on the sacrament which really is what the day is meant to be all about. The biggest part of the First Holy Communion day is meant to be receiving the sacrament which is all about going into the church and receiving Communion for the first uh, time. But, you know, I suppose over the years that has changed and it is got more to do with the big uh, day out. Now, there was obviously a discussion on the local radio station uh, where in, in Carlo, uh, KCLR, uh, one uh, caller to the programme said, Great idea, less expense for the family, religion and state schools should be separated, and the families want to celebrate. They can do so in their own time. Well done to the parish priest, said one listener yesterday. Another said, I think it's a great idea. Well done to those schools. They shouldn't be preparing in school either. Religion is a personal thing. And I know uh, I'm reading this from today's... I can never work out when I copy of the paper. Is this the examiner? I see the Irish Independent. The Irish Independent um, when the Irish Independent com- contacted the two local... There's two priests uh, involved. Neither of them were available uh, for comments and they've decided to. they've made the decision the decision is they're not having an official First Holy Communion day this year if you want your son or daughter to make make their First Holy Communion then please you're welcome to come to Mass on any Sunday in May or June and I just wonder how some of our listeners would feel about that particularly if you have a son or daughter for First Holy Communion this year because I take it at this stage I mean I know we're not even a month into The first year, the first, well, even a month, a month into the first of the academic year. But I take it the second class students are already talking about their first Holy Communion. I don't know if dates have been handed out by schools yet. But parents, I certainly know any parent I would know with a child for communion or confirmation, if they're having a big day out and many do they need. They want the date as soon as possible so they can start the planning and getting ready for it. So I suppose well done to the parish council if they have made this decision to get in there early and let the parents know. Now, I mean, by doing it early, the fight begins. And I suppose the parents will see this as a fight between now and May to get the parish to change its mind. We will keep a close eye on this story to see will the parish changed their minds I mean obviously and I'm assuming the schools must have been involved in the decision or was it just a decision that the parish made and they just informed the schools you know go ahead do your planning do you know your preparation for First Holy Communion but just to let you know you know we're not going to have a big day out we're not going to have a special mass the parents the parents Bring their child along any Sunday in May, any Sunday in June, and that will be the date of their First Holy Communion. So, as I say, interested to see how others would feel about it, especially if you have a son or a daughter or maybe a grandchild due for First Holy Communion. Would you agree with what this parish, these priests, parish council has decided uh, to do are, are, are you with the parents that this is a tradition, we all grew up with the tradition of our first Holy Communion uh, day and it's probably one of my earliest remem- memories is the day of my first Holy Communion, now if we had nothing like the big days out that they have today and you know the booking of hotels and people having caterers in and bouncy castles bouncy castles are back for the First Holy Communion and some parents spend ridiculous sums of money Listen, and I'm not knocking anyone, if you want want to spend a lot of money and you can afford to spend a lot of money, all well and good, nothing wrong with that at all, but then it does put pressure on other families who feel it's almost like a competition. It shouldn't be a competition. But, you know, that's human nature for you and people start competing and just because Mary across the road has the biggest dress ever seen and is having a bouncy castle and the caterers are coming in and there might be a disco on afterwards, we're going to have to compete and then you, you get some families ending up in debt, which is not what the sacrament of First Holy Communion is all about. So your thoughts are welcomed on that, please. 1850 uh, 333 103. Now, uh, keep your texts coming in, by the way. For Peter Dowdle, because Peter Dowdell, the Irish gardener, will be joining us answering all of your gardening questions. So if you have a gardening question, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Just at a call, this is on scams, just at a call from, it's the Aircom scam, telling me they're about to cut off my broadband uh, I don't have broadband, I don't even have a computer in, in the house. Uh, thus proving it certainly is one great big racket. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Tim says, I think blasphemy should still be a crime. The Irish use language too loosely already. The Irish use language too loosely already. I don't know what Nash nation- Tim, are you not Irish by that statement? The Irish... Is it, we use language too loosely already. It was interesting to hear Senator Ronan Mullins offering. And I wonder about the other holy people so prominent in the last referendum. Uh, will they be involved in this referendum? Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. I, only, only, and we only, we're only a month out. We're only a month out. And when I mentioned about this referendum, happening, it was because Sandy, one of our listeners, said, what's the referendum all about? Um, And when last week, when I, when we knew for sure that the referendum was going, the blasphemy one was going to go ahead, the role on women in the home has been pulled. That's not going ahead. It's only the blasphemy one. But I then just myself, anecdotally, you know, I love doing little surveys without even people knowing I'm doing surveys, started bringing up the mention of the blasphemy referendum. And I I think I found one person who knew it was happening and most people looked at me blankly didn't know the referendum was happening and then when I tr- tried to pry a little bit deeper about do you know, did you know about blasphemy do you know it's in the referendum uh, the closest I got was somebody referencing the Stephen Fry interview with gay burn last year and that's when blasphemy started to get mentioned all over um, that's when it really started to get mentioned and that was probably the only reference people had um, to it 1850 103, your thoughts and comments welcomed please we spoke about the Irish Community Air Ambulance, it's one of the first interviews that we did with much excitement on Monday, because it was Friday while we were on air that the ambulance arrived into Kerry Airport. It's going to be based in North Cork, and this community air ambulance is going to save lives. We spoke with John Kearney, and John Kearney promised that they were taking the ambulance out and about so that people could get to see it. And it's kind of a thank you to all of the people who have contributed to the air ambulance since the fundraising first started for it now just over uh, ten years ago, and Michael tells me that the Irish Community Air Ambulance will be land in the GAA pitch in Castletown Roach on this Friday at one o'clock for all to see everybody's invited to come along you can ask questions you can take uh, photographs and it's expected that the ambulance the air ambulance will land at one and she she are all are all helicopters she's uh, she'll stay there until three so from one to three Castletown Bear GAA pitch this Friday if you're around and you want to get up close and personal with Ireland's First Community Air Ambulance and let's hope that it becomes the first of uh, many. We spoke about those horrific case of those three young students in Cork who've been raped during the last few weeks in the start of the academic uh, year. Heidi says, morning Patricia, the young boys and girls at college on occasions sometimes put others under pressure to drink this, drink that, let's have shots. How many shots can you do? And if they don't they're called chicken or they're called other names. I've got a grand grandsons, both at college and I always say to them be your own person. Never be bullied into doing something that you really don't want to do. I'm delighted to say they are great young men but some youngsters just want to be liked and they want to fit in as easily as possible and others can be easily led uh, to do things. So maybe a lot more parents and grandparents need to have that conversation with their sons and daughters and grandchildren and uh, about you know being yourself yeah and I agree it's it's that thing of wanting to be liked isn't it it's everybody wants to nobody wants to be called chicken nobody wants to be the odd one out and for and unfortunately then they can end up in situations where that they you know very awkward situations that they can't get out of and worse still you could end up like something like that that you end up being raped which is absolutely uh, shocking eighteen fifty three 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 one o three richard in north cork on about a completely different issue wondering if a person has an empty house is it impossible to get insurance if for example it's a terraced house and it goes on fire it could put other homes at risk and it would not be insured as far as I know, you can get a house uh, insured if it's unoccupied, but you need to state that. You can't just go and take house insurance out and not tell the insurer. Uh, and I'm open to correction, but as far as I know, you can get a house, an, an empty house insured. I've a vague recollection of covering this before. And was there something about you could get the building insured, but not the contents? Or was it the other way around? I'm not too sure. Anyway, Richard, we'll give it out there for you. Uh, an empty house, because you know if a house goes into probate and it can be empty for a while, I'm, sh- I'm sure there are ways around it. I mean, the best way to check, I mean, I, mist- I don't know where you're coming from on this, Richard. Do you have an empty house that you, you need to get insured? Or are you living close by? you're living in a, a row of terraced houses where one of them is unoccupied and you're thinking that it's not insured. So I don't know. If it's, if it's your own house, I would just say get on to an insurance broker and find out. They'll be able to, they certainly will be able to tell you. But as if the house went on fire, it wouldn't be insured. That could be said of any house in, I mean, you can have a row of terraced houses. You Nobody knows. If every house is insured, I mean, during the downturn in the economy, it was one of the first things that we started hearing from people when they were robbing from Peter to pay Paul and desperately trying to keep a roof over their head and trying to you know, pay mortgages and pay rent and pay all of the other bills and keep the electricity on. There were a number of people who dropped their house insurance. Unfortunately and we dealt with some stories over the years where where um, there was a house fire and they lost everything and they didn't have an insurance and when we probed as to why in God's name did you not have insurance they said we simply couldn't afford it so I mean don't be of the belief that every single house that you're looking at has house insurance because unfortunately that simply is not uh, the case. And somebody's been on to us to say that a mobile phone was found in Super Value in Newmarket and it's been handed into the deli counter. So if you were doing some shopping earlier in Super Value in Newmarket and you've just discovered that uh, you lost your, mo- your mobile phone, go back. The deli counter are looking after it for you. Bernie continues to take your calls. eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Keep your comments coming along with your gardening questions, please. Or you can text her WhatsApp oh eight six two. 103
1: 103 The C103
2: Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses, supporting communities Serving Cork Visit CorkCoco.ie
3: Hamilton High School, they've got an open evening On this even, on Thursday evening My apologies, between 7pm And 7pm, you're invited to come along And meet the students and the teachers Trad Fatroca with Johnny Bongos And friends is on the Hibernian Hotel In Mallow it's also happening on thursday that's at 10 pm while irish water are holding a drop in information evening uh, tonight in bandon town hall from 6 30 to 8 30 it's regarding bandon water main and the sewage system members from the project team will be available and bingo is on tonight in Formoy youth center that's on from half past eight and the do hollow senior the Dohollo Citizens Information Outreach Service that will commence in Cantor Temperance Hall tomorrow and it's on from 10am to 12.30 and Crosshaven Veteran and Vintage Club are hosting an auction for a fully restored 1978 MG motor car Uh, Plus others It's happening on this Friday In aid of Cork Arc Cancer Support It'll be on the RCYC At 8pm
2: Cork Today With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow It's family run So your loved one Will feel at home See Breedhaven.ie C103 Farm Talk On C103 With John O'Connor Every Wednesday at 10pm And Saturdays at 10am
7: 70,000 tonnes Is way too much there's no justification with Brexit on the horizon that the European Union should be offering that kind of tonnage. It's an offer that's way in excess of what the market can support.
2: Farm Talk, with Dairy Gold Quality Feeds. Trusted by generations of farmers. This is C103. Get this exclusive offer only at Kavners of Fermoy. Kavners of Fermoy have taken stock of 10 only Ford Focuses, 1.5 TD titanium models, with metallic paint and park sensors. They all come with 7-year warranty, are pre-registered and of zero mileage. No terms and conditions, for the amazing price of €21,000. Don't miss out. Call down to Kavners of Fermoy to avail of this exclusive Ford offer. See KavnasofFermoy.ie or follow us on Facebook.
1: Here at Flavin's, we love to find new ways for you to enjoy the wholesome goodness of our Flavin's oats. So when we came up with something really different, our new overnight oats, with a delicious blend of oats, fruit and seeds, we thought we'd give it the, uh, overnight test. Simply add milk or apple juice and leave in the fridge overnight. There's no cooking required, just a tasty, chilled breakfast ready and waiting for you next morning. Transform your mornings overnight with Flavin's new overnight oats. Give it the overnight test yourself.
2: Don't wait. Get it now at Harvey Norman with interest-free finance terms and great deals on home appliances and TVs like the Panasonic 55-inch 4K OLED TV from just €60 a month. Or get the Samsung American-style fridge freezer from just €33 a month. Why wait? Get it now with interest-free finance terms at Harvey Norman.
1: Standard fees, terms and conditions apply subject to assessment. Finance provided by Flexify Europe Limited. For full terms and conditions, visit harveynorman.ie forward slash flexi-fi. Text Patricia with your comment now, 0862 103,
3: 103. OK, and keep those gardening questions coming in. Peter's going to be joining us in the next little while on the programme. A lot of people reacting to the story of this parish in, in County Carlow who's ended up in loggerheads with the parents over the decision uh, the priest has decided not, our, not to have a day out for the First Holy Communion. Instead, he's saying to the parents, if you want your son or daughter to make First Holy Communion, then bring them along to Mass any Sunday in May or June. Some of your thoughts on uh, this. Uh, re First Holy Communion. I think it's a great idea. It's been turned into a fashion show. It's not about receiving the sacrament of Communion, as many parents do not even bring their children to Mass again. And then, uh, But then, I'm only Granny Nora when I try to say uh, anything, it says, obviously, Nora, thank you for that. Uh, Willie in Coachford wholeheartedly agree with that Holy Communion idea from Carlo. This would cut out all of the silliness. Great initiative, says Willie. Uh, Tighe says 100% agree with what they're doing in Carlo. What I would now love to see is move it to all parishes all over the country now some of your whatsapps thank you for that some of your texts coming in on uh, this I heard about that arrangement a while ago and I was delighted to hear about it no harm it brings back the true meaning of what first holy communion should be all about I am very much in favour with the decision made by those priests in County Carlo look at all the money it was saved for so many families that's from uh, Mary Tim says listening to National Radio and they were talking about it they said there was more interest in the big day out and the dressing up and the meal afterwards and the party and where you are going and the children and the parents will not be seen inside a church until confirmation says Tim. Someone else says Patricia there's a similar kind of a hassle going on in Mitchellstown where a priest is insisting that the parents of the First Holy Communion class must attend Sunday school for six weeks or the child will not be allowed to receive First Holy Communion now I don't know what the Sunday school is all about I know some of the priests will say uh, that the child and I take it to the parents actually with them must attend mass they must be seen at mass and some of the schools get the children involved in something to do at the mass in order to make sure that they all all turn up in town time. I haven't heard of that before. An actual Sunday school that the parents must attend I take it with the child for First Holy Communion and if they they don't do it for the six weeks there will be no First Holy Communion for the child if anybody can update us on that I hadn't heard that before and Jared has an update on that and he says and I'll have to maybe this broke while I was on air Jared, I'll I'll look into it when I get off air he says the parish priest in Carlo has backed down due to the major backlash from the parents and that the normal communion big day out is now going ahead he said 250 people objected to the plan Apparently, well, yeah, I I did have that information. There was a petition signed, and two hundred and fifty people had uh, signed it up to yesterday evening. So I'll I'll check into that. But according to Jared, uh, he obviously has a, has been on a news feed. The priest has backed down, so the the idea is is gone. At least he tried. I suppose he tried. Somebody else says, Patricia, I think it's a disgrace to take this one very special day away from those innocent children. I've never had much myself but I cherish those days and now I particularly cherish them with my grandchildren, says a Fomoy listener very much in favour of having the big day out for communion and when we were talking about blasphemy, somebody has pointed out that technically if you go by the letter of the law and the rules of blasphemy and the definition of blasphemy, it is an effect to say in the name of Jesus do you know the way somebody would say in the name of Jesus uh, that under blasphemy that is an offence but as we pointed out earlier when we mentioned it there has never been no one has been prosecuted for blasphemy in Ireland since 1855 and the nearest we got to it was somebody tried to take on Stephen Fry But no prosecution was brought. But there was, I, I, if if my memory serves me right, somebody did go in and complain about Stephen Fry, and his what he said in that programme about God with Gay Byrne, but, you know, obviously got looked into. Um, but that would have been under the Defamation Act, wouldn't it? Because the, the Defamation Act that came in in 2009, that made blasphemy a crime. But what's happening here is is to remove it from the Constitution. Now, by removing it from the Constitution will that and does that affect the defamation act i'm I'm not sure that's something i will have to look into uh, as well blasphemy isn't something that i read up a lot about a lot of the time it only came back on my radar again uh, because of uh, sandy brought it up saying can we find out what it is all about oh and somebody else wants me to thank and i will i'm only too happy to do this to say well done i don't have a name on this well done to the garda who helped not one but two ladies who felt unwell at Ballin Temple on the way to the match yesterday? Uh, by the way, he was also directing traffic uh, in his spare time. Well done to him, says Joe. Now I don't know if anybody has the name of the garda who was directing traffic, but two ladies felt unwell. Now I don't know. If I take it there were two separate incidents on the way out from the match, and in the midst of directing all the traffic, he helped the ladies as well. We've got some, i you, we have some great members of Angarda shiacona Let's just never forget them. Jerry in Macroom thinks, this is back to communion, thinks the children need to be properly taught before getting their first Holy Communion. In some parishes, the children are expected to show up at Mass for at least four weeks before their first Holy Communion. So at least they know what to do at Mass. Oh my God bring a church in, they don't even know what to do inside in, in the church. I, I've, I've quoted this before. I remember being at a First Holy Communion Mass for a goddaughter of mine up the country a few years ago. And as we were leaving, I thought very bravely, the priest says, you know, well thank you for that, you know, and thanked everybody thanked the, the two teachers that were involved in the school and thanked all the children and the choir and everyone who participated in every way and he said, lovely to see such a full house, you know, was standing room only down the back and hoped everybody had a lovely day and, you know, so there was, he was aware there was parties going on and the sun was shining and the God was smiling down on you and, you know, they hoped, and it was lovely it was a real nice wrap up of the end and then his parting shot was, and I suppose for most of you, I won't see you again until you're making your, con- your confirmation. And he just walked. There was, now, there was a kind of a ripple of a laughter and then there was like a stony silence and everybody left the church. And I remember afterwards, people were talking about it and I thought he was very brave to say it because <laughs> for many of them, they probably were not going to be back inside in that church until the child's son or daughter's confirmation. Joan in from Roy would love to see First Holy Communion given in the school with just the immediate family there. A lot of families now don't go to Mass anymore, but they will spend far too much on their First Holy Communion. Most families now can't afford to spend that much. It should be all about the child and not about the big family day out. Now, you're on to something there, Joan, because one of the main criticisms coming from the families of the children in this parish in Carlo, was that we were dropping with the tradition and that the children were very upset because they wouldn't be able to celebrate their big day with their other friends and they wouldn't be able to practice for it and they wouldn't be able to all make their communion together and all be part of this celebration. If you take on Joan's suggestion that you have the Mass inside in the school hall, the gym or wherever, with just do it now. I don't know if is suggesting you'd actually do it during school hours, but where you would just have the immediate family. Now, what would the immediate family? Would the immediate family just be mammy and daddy and the brothers and sisters? Would the grannies be included? What about the aunts and uncles? I'm starting to think of problems uh, with the numbers and whatever. But if you just, I know what I know, wh- I know wh- where you're thinking and where 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 you're coming from on this one. You'd have the day. You wouldn't have the big, you wouldn't be forced to have the big day out if you didn't want to. I suppose you could go on to have a party afterwards, but it would be one way around it. That is uh, for sure. OK, uh, 1850 333 103. I can see lots more texts and calls uh, coming in. We won't have time to get to any more of them. But as always, every single one of them will be read when we get off air. And um, any of the relevant ones we'll bring with you uh, tomorrow. Uh, I promise you uh, that. Uh, Mary in Bantry though has been on to us because she's making jam and she's looking for a little bit of advice please. and our listeners are great to give advice she's looking for advice on getting the sticky stuff off the jam pots some of the labels came off very easily but some are leaving behind a sticky residue how do you get the sticky residue off and by the way she's making blackberry and apple jam and we didn't need to know what kind of jam she was making but the fact and if it was jam Paul was answering the phones he would not have asked that question but I know that Bur- Ernie, who's a jam maker? Deliberately asked that question because she was just being nosy, and she wanted to know what kind of jam was Mary in pantry making. I know it for sure. So good luck with your blackberry and apple jam making, uh, Mary. And can anybody else let us know the sticky residue which is left? Um, she has her jam pots; she has them all sterilized and all that. But she's trying to get last the stickers either from last year's jam making or for other jam during the year. Sticky residue. How does she get rid of it? Eighteen fifty three 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 one. And Peter Dowdell the Irish Gardener joins us answering all of your gardening questions. Um, good afternoon to you Peter.
9: Good afternoon Chris. how are
3: you? I'm very well and I put my, my we finally, we have some, some technical problems here in the building with the little video that we made for one tree at a time, finally got it up and getting great reaction I have to say but I'm now encouraging people to plant their tree with the hashtag one tree at a time. It's important that you don't have to, point, you don't have to post a video but just even post a photograph.
9: Absolutely, just just the only advantage of, of putting up the hashtag with it, Twitch, uh, is that we begin to get an idea of numbers and it just gives a bit more clout behind us when there's, when there's big numbers behind it. So lots of people have contacted me to say that they've seen the videos and they have planted trees. So if you do just take a photograph and put it up with the hashtag, it would be
3: great. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's cause and, and the more uh, publicity like that, that we can generate. Other people will see it. And it just puts the... Because everyone I've been saying it to and everyone who's contacted me who've seen the video have all said, what a great idea. It's just... It's like one of those light bulb moments like why didn't I think of that kind of thing
9: Exactly it's just so simple and we can all do a small bit it won't save the world all on its own but you know what the more we get people thinking and talking the better
3: Absolutely Let's get straight into questions and this question was one of our first ones in earlier It says Hello My son has a sunflower which he grew from seeds We have it potted and it is beside the patio door Is it okay to leave it indoors or should we be putting it outside It's starting to flower Much excitement
9: Okay, at this time of the year it's it's an interesting question because it's just a bit late normally you'd have it outside and let it flower away outside but it's, it's just a bit late this year so um, I would, my my gut is going to t- I'm going to go with my gut and I'd say leave it indoors because it is getting quite cold at night time and it's only around the corner before we get a bit of frost so I'd hate for, for their son to, to wake lose up it. one morning yeah. and be devastated absolutely yeah. so I'd be inclined to keep it inside now bear in mind it could get to six or seven or even eight foot tall uh, so put it put it in the highest part of the house Um give it plenty of sunlight obviously and and keep it very well watered because technically it is an outdoor plant it wants to be growing outside but it would be it's an annual so it'll die after it flowers so you that would normally be during the summer which would be fine to have it outside but as we're coming into the colder temperatures it's a bit late to have it outside so uh, keep it inside keep it well watered and plenty plenty of sunlight
3: and obviously in just inside the patio door it's obviously in a good sunny spot yeah, yeah like, so that a be, fine, be okay. Yeah. okay tim in West Cork. question for peter please can i give my rose bushes a good cutting back now you
9: can but i probably would hold off on it uh, i would certainly give them a, a light pruning and remove any dead flowers infected leaves anything like that um and then you will promote, more than likely, you'll promote some further flower blooms or for some further flowers to come into bloom during the next month or two because the temperatures aren't that cold. Um, you can cut it back hard now, but normally the, the advice would be to do that between November and February.
3: And here's a question I can only answer myself. Hi, Patricia and Peter, could you, ask, uh, could you ask, Hi, Patricia, could you ask Peter, is now the time to plant trees? Well, I planted mine last Wednesday, so I hope uh, so. Is, uh, that, is now a good time or.
9: Well it is, and autumn, the autumn months are traditionally the, the time to, to plant trees, and you've probably heard the expression before, Trish, you should always only plant when there's an R in the month. And that, eh, uh, that's a traditional saying, and it goes back to when plants weren't grown in pots, when they were just grown in nursery fields and they were lifted. So you can actually only lift really plants that are, um you can only lift plants out of the ground during the months that have an hour in them so in other words kind of from September to March or April um, it's the perfect time to plant in the autumn because the, the soil temperature is still warm it, it gives the, the the trees and the plants a chance to get established in the ground before they start actively growing next spring they settle in if you like during the, the autumn winter so it is perfect time to be planting now
3: Yeah, Mike and Bantry can you sprinkle wild flower seeds over a lawn in spring is it as simple as that he obviously wants, no. to, wants to get a white now
9: I'm afraid not. You
3: it would be try. lovely if it was.
9: <laughs> yeah, you can try. Um, no, the, the flower seeds will have to will have to make contact with bare earth really. So what you could do is, if you wanted to, to try that approach, to no harm at all, with it, is, is cut the lawn very, very low to its lowest setting and then go over the lawn with like a scarifier or even just a good hard rake uh, and a a good pair of elbows, uh, just to break up the soil surface, and you could scatter the seed then on that, provided it was getting contacted with the soil, and you water it in, then you should be successful enough. But what a lot of us will find is if, if we do that, cut it very, very low, we will be left with moss and thatch, so there's still no soil surface. So it is important to scarify it at that point, which is just a mechanical rake to break up the moss and the, and the thatch and the, the top inch of the soil. So you would need to do that after cutting it. and But then you should be, it's either that or, or kind of take up the grass and start again. So it's certainly an easier option.
3: And it's a lovely thing to have, isn't it? Oh, if you, if you can have part of your garden where you have like wildflowers going, it's... Well, you uh, know
9: what, Trish, even, even as you say it there, even just part of it, and yeah. like, uh, many of us don't live in gardens that we can have wildflower meadows, but there's nothing to say that even a couple of square metres down by the garden shed, you could do it. And number one, it looks lovely, but number two, from the point of view of biodiversity, again, it's hugely important.
3: Stay on biodiversity because Ger in West Cork says, Hi Peter, I have a lot of ladybirds in my garden at the moment. They seem to be increasing in numbers over the last few years. I love to see them and I'm wondering, are they good insects to have around? I do not want uh, to interfere with natural habitats if at all possible and I always appreciate your advice. Thanking you, Ger in West Cork.
9: Well, I bet he has no greenfly in his garden and if he has any roses, I'd say there's no aphids eating them because ladybirds are voracious voracious appetites when it comes to green fly and aphids but the short answer to the question is they're an excellent insect to have around they eat an awful lot of the unwanted and the undesirables the black flies white flies green flies one <laughs> ladybird trish believe it or not i don't know who counted but it's estimated that one ladybird will eat about twenty thousand green flies in his lifetime so they're great to have around and
3: why do you think jar is getting an increase in ladybirds into his garden
9: it's a good question. It's great. It's absolutely encouraging to hear it. I, I don't know the short answer. I imagine neither he nor people near him are using insecticides. Spies, so if yeah. we stop using insecticides, we will see an increase in them. Um, there is, if he's interested... If he's interested, to contact me. If you're interested in listening to her, contact me uh, online uh, because there is uh, a lady that I'm connected with whose name eludes me at the moment, but I'm connected with her online. She's doing a PhD in one of the colleges and it's on it's on ladybirds and she's very interested to know what types are around the country and that. So if you're interested enough, I'll put the two of you in contact and she'd certainly be able to answer and she'd be interested to know exactly what kind of ladybirds you have.
3: So, yeah, and, um, and I'm sure Tess and Mallow could do with some of the ladybirds because Tess and Mallow has green fly on her roses. She wants to get rid of it, but she doesn't want to use the spray.
9: Well, did you know you can now buy ladybirds online, Trish, <laughs> or get onto her and take a few of his? But so the the when we stop using chemicals, and I'm delighted to hear that she she doesn't want to use it, when we stop using insecticides, the natural order will... will rebalance itself in time but it won't happen overnight of course. So you would do in the meantime you do have green fly. Um one of the first things I would always suggest is if it's if it's practical and if the green fly isn't on every inch of the rose, prune it off. Just prune the stems that have the green fly off and into the compost bin or into the wheelie bin. Um and that's you know it's done. If it's only a couple of stems and that would absolutely be what I would do. Another thing you could do is just with the with the hose put it to a very fine spray but a you know very fast and just physically spray them off. That's another way of doing it. Uh, Or you could also, and I've spoken about this many times in your program, fish the garlic wash. So where you pulp two or three cloves of garlic with about a litre of boiling water, do it outside, obviously, because you can imagine the smell. Um, Leave it sit, put in a few chilli seeds or some chilli oil if you have it too from the kitchen. Uh, Leave it sit for about 24, 48 hours. Then dilute it with, let's say, another half a litre of water and and spray it onto your roses and the green flower will
3: go. Uh, Caitlin, in Riverstown, when is the best time to take slips from hydrangea?
9: Where are we now at the end of September? Probably just gone a bit late, but you know what, hydrangeas root very, very easily, so you could even try it now, but the best time I would suggest would be July-August would be the best two months to do it. You can take them by hardwood cutting, which is later in the year, uh, so July-August you take what's called a softwood cutting, Chris, which is where you cut this year's growth, about six inches in length, you cut at a node. Now, a node is just where the leaf meets the stem, because that's where you have the auxins, uh, the highest portion of the, the hormone of the auxin, which promotes root development. That's just at a node. So base of the cutting is where the leaf meets the stem, a node. Remove those leaves. Leave only one or two leaves on the top of the cutting. So remove everything below it, about six inches, into a bit of rooting powder, into compost. It'll root away quite freely. You can try that now as well. Same process. However, because we're getting later in the year the, the oxygen are reducing in the stem so that you'll have less um probably less success with rooting at this time of the year. However, hydrangeas are, are pretty straightforward, so I I'd, I'd say you'll get a few to root. Hardwood cuttings then, you take this year's growth again, you take about twelve inches in length. During the winter when there's no leaves on it, again the pace of the cutting is at a node, the top of the cutting is at a node. No leaves at all in it. It'll take six to twelve months to root which will have a bigger plant, stronger if you do it that way. So you could either try it now by softwood or wait, let's say, till kind of December, January and do hardwood.
3: Janet says, I'm getting a bed ready to plant flowers in the spring. Should I put soil improver in now or do I wait until I'm planting in the spring?
9: I would certainly put it in now. Dig the bed now, so you're exposing it, the soil to the, the frost and snow, which we'll hopefully get, which will hopefully kill off any pests and diseases in the soil. But the best soil conditioner you can get, I would say to you, is good, uh, good quality, well-rotten farmyard manure. Dig that in now, and it will increase the nutrient value, and it, it will really benefit us. But, but put it in now.
3: And somebody is suggesting when we were talking about the wildflowers earlier, says to sow wildflower seeds in your lawn drive a garden pike about two inches into the soil and drop in the seeds. It's ideal for a small amount, but it's very tedious. So somebody who obviously is is, is speaking from uh, experience. Um, Marion Kiskane, a question for Peter. I have tulip bulbs. I set them in tubs. They flowered beautifully for the first two years, but no flowers this year. I dug them up and there are less bulbs and they're now as small as the size of a peanut. Any idea what happened and what I should
9: to. What happened is probably that the bulb died off and the little side side bulbs which grew on it, they're what she's left with. But they, 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 the tulips are, I mean, obviously they're a bulb and they're a perennial plant, but I would suggest that um, that uh, they kind of really only tend to give us a year or two unless we take them out of the soil. So what's happened is the original bulb may be rotted with the rain or something happened. There's also a tulip beep on it and the, the small little... Ball bills they're called or what she's left with now, they will progress in time to be real bulls but it will take two or three years
3: ok can, hi Peter can I take apple tree cuttings at the moment
9: you take, no you take apple tree cuttings by hardwood the way I described there earlier so take about 12 inches of, of this year's growth but wait till midwinter uh, and the base of the cuttings will be at a node as I say where the leaf bud is top of the cutting is at a node about 10 to 12 inches it's about pencil thickness plunge them in the ground you can do it outside they will take up to twelve months to root as I say, but you will have quite a strong plant at that stage.
3: And Katie McCroom has a lot of strawberry plants. Will they be okay to leave outside for the winter?
9: Excuse me. Uh, they'd be absolutely fine. Strawberry plants are tough as old boots and 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 they're one of the nicest fruits to grow because the fruit is so nice. Okay.
3: All right, we'll leave it there. Are you on babysitting duty? I can hear, I can tell you. I am here. on babysitting duty. <laughs> we'll let you and get she, back to us. She,
9: she has been very good <laughs> up to about two minutes ago.
3: <laughs> always the same, always the same. Yeah, yeah. Listen, we'll talk to you next Wednesday thank, uh, thank you then. for that that is uh, Peter Dowd of the theirishgardener.com and thank you to a lot of people giving suggestions in for our jam maker Marion Butterfield says use a wire scrubber with WD-40 it gets the sticky residue off Siobhan and Shagila says put vinegar into warm water leave the jam jars soak in it someone else um, Stella Marie who's listening to us in Lancashire in England good to have you along Stella Marie says white spirits removes the sticky stuff off jam jars and it does it fantastically and Robbie and Bantry uses WD forty to remove the sticky residue from labels. It works uh, fine. That's why I leave it for today. My thanks to Bernie Murphy for producing. We're back with you tomorrow morning at uh, ten o'clock for Thursday's edition of the program. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon.
7: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen
0: yahoofinance.com.